Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. I'll be talking to thought leaders and practitioners to help make you a better product manager, product marketer, or just build better products. If you like what you hear on this episode, don't run away. You can come over to onenightinproduct.com and sign up to the mailing list, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, or follow the podcast on your favorite social media platform and guarantee you never miss another episode again. On tonight's episode, we ask ourselves, are we really happy with the legacy our products will leave behind? We talk about the importance of ethics and sustainability in product development, how we need to take a long, hard look at the impacts of the decisions that we make in our product design process, and think about some of the ways we might ensure that our products are inclusive, diverse, and most importantly, good for the planet. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Ian Peterman. Ian's a former competitive violinist whose first job was designing lasers before pointing his professional beam at the world of design, moving the dot through a variety of companies and fields, before focusing relentlessly on Peterman design firm and pioneering the Peterman method. No, this isn't just a massive coincidence, he founded the company himself. Ian's passionate about conscious design and to that end has co-written a book and hosts a podcast on the subject and is aiming to help us all create environmentally and socially conscious products. Hi Ian, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Great to be here. It's good to have you here. I'm looking forward to making sure that I can be more socially conscious. It's been on my mind recently. We can all be a little bit more. 100%. <laughs> it's a process. <laughs> Absolutely. So first things first, you're the CEO and founder of Peterman Design Firm. Yes. So what problem does Peterman Design Firm solve for me? We are a end-to-end product development firm. So we work a lot with startups because we have that capability to fill all the all the additional shoes that are required to actually launch a product. <laughs> so we do everything from concept to the product development, building a supply chain, branding, building website, e-commerce, actually getting out to the market. And that's how we're able to have the conversation too about how how do we have a smart supply chain? How do we have a, a conscious, eco-friendly one? How do we look at all that? And that experience is, you know, it broadens you to understand all of the impacts that a product really does have. Yeah, that sounds interesting. And actually, when you said supply chain and sort of eco-aware, I started thinking about some of the trends you see these days around supply chains being kind of managed by blockchains because they want to have all this providence. But of course, the, the blockchains themselves are very eco-unfriendly. So I'm hoping that you're keeping it very traditional in the supply chain sense, or do you end up getting pulled into some of those directions as well? We haven't used blockchain on any of our supply chain work yet. <laughs> That's still, it, yeah, people are starting to do that, but it's still very fringe, we'll call it. Nobody, it's it's a small percentage of people doing that. And you hold out for as long as you can. <laughs> but you've touched on it a little bit. So it's not just then digital products or is it, I mean, supply chains tends to suppose that you're working with a lot of physical products as well and, and getting stuff into different locations and, and, and stuff like that. Is Is it a bit of a mix that you do or do you tend to lean one way or the other? We tend to lean to tangible products. That's my background and it's... Tangible products have such a larger impact on our world rather than digital. And so that's where a lot of... Don't tell Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) 
well, without the tangible products, he wouldn't have a server to host his <laughs> Facebook on. So I think he should be aware. But it's we do we do work on digital products as well, you know, IoT, things like that. We can't really escape the digital world and I'm not trying to, but <laughs> tangible products are are such a huge part and there's a lot more involved. And so we can bring a lot more value when we work with a client on something that requires a tangible and software component. So what are some of the types of products that you've been working on or maybe some of the types of companies that you work with? I mean, you say startups, but like, are there certain industries that you focus on or certain types of physical product that are your sweet spot? We've kept it pretty spread out. So we don't really have a vertical that we focus on. We've done consumer products, baby products, toys. We've done industrial equipment kind of all across the board. I've done I've worked on speakers, lasers, printers. <laughs> We're doing some IoT smart home products right now. Those are definitely trending very upward <laughs> right now, so there's a lot more startups. We're talking with some uh, health, so health tech hardware startups. So those are the the popular ones right now, but we still, for example, we're working on a scientific measurement product right now as well. So we we kind of keep it across the board. Yeah, that sounds like there's a lot of, for want of a better word, diversity in the types of things that you're working on, which is obviously really fantastic and presumably keeps it really fresh. But one of the things that I've spoken to people working in physical product design before about is like, it feels like everything's a lot harder than it would be for, say, just a digital thing where you can just crank out a website, like with a game where you kind of send it down and like if it's broken, you can just fix it the next day. Like there's there's a lot more to worry about when you're actually creating physical things and designing physical things because if the design's wrong and you make lots of them, it's a big problem, right? Is, is that something that kind of makes it more complicated for you or do you find ways to do that fast prototyping but just in a physical sense? Yeah, there's there's definitely ways to speed it up. And so, you know, we can we can launch a product to market and you know, depending on complexity, of course, but there's some products you can get to market, even physical ones, in a matter of a few months. So, you know, three, four, six months to get to market. It's definitely easier to do a digital product. You could be <laughs> a, a one person startup and launch your product with no other help and be able to learn everything you really need to know. Whereas a physical product, it's you can get to a, a certain point, but eventually it requires a team. You can't yeah. can't really really escape it unless you're, you know, if you're making Christmas ornaments or you're doing something really simple, you know, with if you're on the Etsy market, then yeah. you can probably do it yourself, but not at scale. So there's that too. Once you go to scale you're going to have multiple suppliers. You're going to have to have a supply chain and even people that do it themselves. If they think about it, you know, you're probably buying raw material from a couple different places. So yeah. you already, you already have a supply chain. It's, you know, you're not going to go mine, mine the iron <laughs> out, of, out of the mountain and smelt it and then cast it. And Where's machine your ambition, it, right? man? Where's your ambition? <laughs> Uh, I mean, maybe maybe there's somebody there that's like, no, no, I do that, and I I I forge some some old swords, <laughs> and I do it myself. I have a mountain, but that's probably one person left. Yeah, no, don't imagine there's much kind of subsistence ironmongery going on at the moment. Yeah, there's there's not much of a market for the, for the that. 
But you've got a strong ethical vein running through your work, and we'll talk about that a bit in a minute. And your mission is explicitly to improve the human condition and our planet through better design. And that's something that the book talks about, and obviously your firm works on as well. So I guess the question is whether there's ever been a point where you've had a client come to you or potential client that maybe doesn't share some of those goals. And in that case, whether you've had to basically either not take them on or kind of fire them through the process, or have you got like quite a good flow of socially conscious companies just coming to you and you don't have to worry about it too much? Uh, we haven't had to worry about that too much. We're Because we're so open about what we're trying to do, we get more people that are like, hey, I want to make a new product that is the environmentally friendly version of this other existing product. So we do have quite a bit more interest. I think it's just from putting it out there. This is what we're doing. This is what we're interested in. And we've had some people that are you know, a little bit more on the fence. And, and honestly, with the material options and things that we can do now, it's actually not really hard to pose a really good argument as to why we should just use, you know, at least use some more eco-friendly materials in the product while we're doing it. Find a, a manufacturer that's more eco-friendly than another one. So there's baby steps. So not everyone is is fully... <laughs> fully, you know, everything needs to be biodegradable in my product, but there's smaller steps that we can all take. And so that, that I don't shy away from those either, because I'd rather help people take baby steps than ignore them and only focus on people that are going all out, because that's that's not how we make incremental change towards anything. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, like you say, making baby steps, doing what you can. I mean, it's like the same with a lot of things. It's like you can't turn an entire ship in quick order, right? You have to kind of turn the tanker slowly and not not everything can just be as fast and uh, amazingly supersonic as, as we seem to think it should be these days. It's like there's like it takes time to change people's attitudes and, and people's, I guess, opinions about like how important some of these things are. Yeah, and it's it's something that, you know, even big companies, I think, I forget which one, there's a big tech company. I think it was Apple. They announced, you know, their, their super ambitious, seemingly, goals, but it was 10 years. It's taken a decade for yeah. them to start crossing off a couple of things. And that's, you know, that's a huge company with massive resources, a loyal fan base that is willing to pay <laughs> for for whatever <laughs> products they put out there. So keeping that in mind if you're the small startup you may not be able to be as as sustainable as you want but if you don't start making steps and helping drive the yeah. the demand and the need for that or the the market wanting that then it's not going to shift at all so well on the same note you've also written a book conscious design and you wrote that with your wife yes and that's come out pretty recently i think that came out last month according to amazon sometime through October, unless that's kind of the last time it was updated rather than when it actually came out. No, it actually came out last week. So just before just before the end of the month. So yes. So last... Fresh off the presses. It is. Now we'll talk about some of the themes in the book in a minute, but I do have to ask, I mean, I've not written a book myself, but I've spoken to a bunch of authors on the podcast and they all say that writing a book is a bit of an endeavor, it can be kind of stressful. And obviously writing with a co-author can be also kind of stressful. But how is it when you live with your co-author? Like, does that make it more stressful or 
It, it, does it make it more harmonious because you've obviously been together for a while? I think it made it much easier in our case. Uh, we were able to write together, talk about it more casually. And for me, the the writing, we were able to get 80% of the book done uh, in about three weeks. Oh, wow. Then the editing and and the, the design work and the getting it formatted for Amazon, all that stuff then took months <laughs> to, right. to get done. Well, that's the supply chain, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Your wife's not a designer herself. She's working in natural medicine and obviously has a strong ethical angle herself. Obviously, I've read the intro to the book and, and seen some of the reasons why you, know, you kind of went into this together. But is it fair to say that you've both come at the problem from different angles, given your professional backgrounds? And I guess the following question for that would be, were there any parts of the writing process where you actually kind of butted heads and, and kind of had these different opinions from your different backgrounds and you had to kind of reconcile that? Or were you pretty aligned from the start? We were pretty aligned from the start. So we we definitely do come from different angles. You know, if, if you look at what her, her experience is, you know, she's worked in ancient medicines and eastern medicine you know from all the, over the world and so her background is very much in a inclusive to the point of including you know ancient medicine techniques alongside modern ones she also is very very inclusive she's worked at places that that was a very core part of their values and so bringing that in with my design background and it really just came together really nicely because I, yeah. I'm also very much an advocate of personal freedoms and you should be taking care of the earth. You should be not destroying things. You should be nice to people. We should be socially <laughs> socially conscious just as much as we should be eco-conscious in what we do. And so the combination, though, brought brought about some different ideas that we were able to put together in a pretty nice way, I think. So a good melting pot there of ideas and motivations. But what was the specific motivation for writing this book now? Was it just right time, right place? You know, you had these ideas for a bit and it was time to get them out? Or was there something that happened through your consulting work that spurred it off? Or was there just some other sort of inflection point that made you decide that now was time to write a book? It was kind of of a stepping process. It really started in 2020. I was I was asked the question, what makes you unique? What's your unique process, basically? And you know, everybody, every designer has their own unique process. But I hadn't in my entire career sat down and ever thought about what 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 is my actual process? How do I actually think <laughs> about problems? And so that resulted in Peterman Method, which I which I created. And then once I did that, I basically was like, oh, this is pretty good. I should really expand on this because this is you know it was basically a bullet list yeah which is cool but not really diving into any of the thinking behind it and so that combined with just 2020 overall people calling out you know racist packaging and eco-friendly things becoming even more aware of the supply chain melting for a little while which we still deal with in my world <laughs> right now that all just kind of coming. I was like, okay, well, this is this seems like a good time to write this because the whole idea behind it is that you know we've had human centered design 
that's something everybody knows. We can all quote it. It's a great buzzword used by everyone, but it's kind of limited to the human experience of a product. And so yeah. I looking at everything going on, I was like, oh, this is a at times somebody needs to look and there's lots of really good companies doing amazing things out there. And so really it's not so much new. I'm just taking everything people are doing and combining into one place and saying, hey, look, if we take all of these great ideas and put them together into one process, we're going to have something better. Mm-hmm. You know, We're going to have something that's eco-friendly, socially conscious, inclusive, and it's going to be a good product. And the market right now, the way it's headed is that's how you're going to be profitable. You, these, are, these are boxes that are quickly becoming must-check in order to have even yeah. you know, more and more startups that I talk to are like, okay, well, we have to have something that how do we become socially responsible? And they're startups. Like that's something that mostly only corporate companies with large budgets that need to do something to look good would do. <laughs> <laughs> and so now that that shift is happening, more startups are coming to me and saying, okay, how do we do this? How do we make a socially friendly brand? How do we make a product that doesn't destroy the environment? And even to, there's more companies now that are, how do we make products that are carbon negative? How do we, how do we undo, yeah. begin to undo the problems we've created? And so that just right time, right place seemed like yep. it was on my mind. And so we created the book. Fair enough. Now, I'd normally ask how the reception has been for the book, but obviously it's pretty new and probably have to check back at some point in the future. So in lieu of that, let's talk briefly about the podcast, which is also called Conscious Design. And so far, it's got like nearly 100 episodes. So you're obviously doing quite a lot of work on that as well. Would you consider the book to be a companion to the podcast and tread a lot of the same themes? Or is it something that really treads its own path as well? Yeah, so the podcast is I actually kind of broke it up into two kinds of episodes. I have, you know, more informational where I it's just me talking. It's you know, five, ten minute short short chats about yep. some topic in product development where, you know, it is and I talk about sustainability and, and things like that, but try to make it super bite-sized, easy, <laughs> easy to understand <laughs> content. And then I have interviews and the interviews are very close to the book because I talk to people who are doing one of my, I think the one that just came out was about a company that's making dimensional lumber out of hemp. So they're making the wood we actually build houses out of from material that's being burned right now. Right. It's waste material, basically. So it's bringing out these people with ideas and companies, you know, whatever stage they are, I'm not really, I think everybody should have a little, get their idea out there and and see what sticks. So it's really trying to share ideas that could make a difference that are interesting, unique. There's socially aware, or trying to do some social good, or they're trying to make some environmental good. And a lot of them are product, but some of them are also apps. Some of them are just, you know, that that kind of thing. So hmm. it's it kind of across the board, but definitely does tie into the theme of the book. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll check both of them out. But in the book, you talk about the four pillars of conscious design. But before we even talk about the pillars, what's the nutshell version of conscious design? Like, if you had to describe it in one sentence or maybe one paragraph, if I'm being kind. <laughs> 
It's really the combination of increasing awareness of all the impacts that a product actually has. And that's across, yes, environmental, but also social. And it's looking at how you know the impact of your product is far greater than you probably think about. And the example I give people is you know, the Ticonderoga pencil, our, our wooden pencil most schools have, comes from <laughs> about, I think it's four countries in order to make one pencil. And hundreds of people end up being involved at some point in order to make a four-component pencil that we buy for a dollar or, or less. <laughs> and so there's there's a huge impact that our products have. And so the the conscious design is to help people become more aware of what are all of those impacts and how can we make those positive rather than neutral or negative. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, if you start to think about what goes into a lot of our products, you probably start to get a bit disappointed, like the amount of different materials and different things that come from all over the place. And the fact that, like you say, you're buying them for basically nothing is like someone's someone's not getting a, a fair shake out of that deal, right? Yeah, it's it's a interesting thing. I just had a really good conversation with someone about alternative power for, you know, like wind power for ships and yeah. You know, in order to do an actual cost to cost analysis, you have to look at what is the environmental damage in dollars for every barrel of oil yeah. in order to in order to actually fairly compare things. And so we live in this kind of subsidized world where certain things those costs are hidden and so we don't see the dollar amount when we go to buy it yeah well the societal impact of the people that are actually you know working themselves to the bone to get this stuff done out for the you know again for the measly price that you end up paying for it exactly but in the book you talk about the four pillars which are observation impact connection and inclusion so Again, on a very high level, because we want people to read the book. Like, how do these pillars contribute to conscious design? Like, what are some of the steps that you can take for each of those to help you be a little bit more conscious about the things that you're building? Yeah, so we'll we'll just run through them. Observation is really exactly what it sounds like. Start to actually observe what goes into your product. What is actually around your product? Who are the people involved in your product? And and just you know, because if you don't know, if you don't observe, you can't do anything. So, yeah, in any process, observation should actually be step number one. If you don't, if you don't look at what's happening, you have no idea. You can't make any changes. Impact, impact is really then going. Okay, well, I've seen all this. Everything is going on. I've seen all the people involved. I've seen the materials. What are the impacts that your design is going to have? What are those things? What are they now? What are they going to be? Thinking about the social and the environmental impacts. You know, just like you said, is this, is there slave labor involved? Is there bad working conditions? Are you impacting families for generations poorly because of how this is set up? So looking at looking at those things and looking at, you know, what are the positive impacts? How and how can we do that? Connection is really looking at, well, okay, people are going to be involved with this no matter what. There's, you know, automation only goes so far so yeah really connecting and figuring out how do we how do we build better connection between people how do we build better community around your your brand your customers your companies your company's workers how do you build something where everybody that's involved in this feels good 
about being involved in what you're doing. How do we, <laughs> if they don't, then you're probably messing up somewhere or not communicating well. Yeah. And then inclusion is kind of blended in with that is how do we include everyone? Because you also need to think about not just direct people. It's, yeah, there's a worker. Well, they have a family, most likely, right? Yeah. How, how are they involved? How are they, how does this impact them? How do, how do they connect with them? How do we include people that normally wouldn't be, you know, how do we make sure that we're not excluding anyone even by accident? Yeah. And that's a process and a thought <laughs> that quite a bit of thinking that has to go into that. And so that's just making sure that we don't ever step back into the space where we were excluding people intentionally or unintentionally and making sure that we're, we're not ignoring segments of the population in what we're doing because it's you know the the population is diverse we need to make sure that our yeah. product works for everyone or if not be really aware of that and not try to market it as something for everyone be be aware that your product only works <laughs> for one segment of the population and be clear about that so those are those are kind of those four pillars and the book also talks about the peterman method which i'm assuming you're using your day-to-day -day work as well so does this method really just encapsulate your conscious design pillars and, and make them actionable, kind of like a playbook to get it done? Or does it go further than that? The Peterman method is really just that high-level high process. It doesn't dive really deep into it. It's not you know something that you can follow and go step by step. And so what I do is I took that and I dove very deep down into what what are all much smaller steps. And obviously, the book is only 180 pages. If we were to really step out the entire product development process, thousands of pages would be required. <laughs> but I broke it down into much more digestible pieces. And then in the book, I ask three questions for each of those sections. And, I, and the idea there is to help people start thinking, okay, well, if I was going to do this product development process in a conscious way, here's three things you should be thinking about. And just starting to get people to think, okay, well, how can I make this step more conscious? How can I improve this step? What do I need to be thinking about? What are areas that designers and startups have been ignoring previously, whether intentionally or unintentionally? And, and just helping to start people to think and ask those questions. And hopefully those will if they're really good questions, they'll always give more questions as the best question <laughs> always gives more. And so that's the idea is to just spark that. And so we took in the book, we broke it down into, you know, talking about conscious design from kind of just the concept. And then there's also an entire chapter that is the Peterman method broken down product development with this. Okay. Well, here, here's how you would do it. If you're going to be conscious about this, if you're going to really think about this and try to create something that was socially and environmentally responsible. These are some extra things that you would need to think about in order to actually achieve a product that you would, at the end, be able to feel good about, yeah, we did these things. We actually created something that met our goals. And it's not just we painted it green and said it was, <laughs> said it was friendly. <laughs> well, that's the easy option, I guess. But have you, I mean, again, you've been using that yourself in your day-to-day -day work, but is that something that before the book you'd kind of 
given to the world and got people using or is this really the chance then for that to kind of propagate around a bit more this is the chance now i put out the the method last year so it's been sitting there for about a year it's not been i haven't marketed it heavily so it's just kind of sat there something i tell people about but not really trying to get out there and i this is more of the detailed explanation as to why should we be doing that and i think that's that's sometimes needed and just getting people to think about it is like, wait, this is why this is, this is how this is the thought behind it. And hopefully that will help people to see that value. And hopefully people start taking it and running with it and improve it themselves. Like that's, that's the ultimate goal. Well, absolutely. So you can kind of crowdsource and open source it and make it a service for the whole world. Absolutely. I'm all in. But you also talk in the book about legacy brands. Now, when I first heard the phrase legacy brands, I was thinking about Kodak and Blockbuster (laughs) and all these other brands that don't really exist anymore because they failed for some reason. But what you're talking about by legacy brand is more like brands that leave a legacy. So like, I guess the natural extension of making a more ethical product is that you can then be remembered for making an ethical product and that that decision can then echo through the ages. So what are some of the hallmarks of a legacy brand for you? Yeah, so and it's it's something that and the reason why we talk about it is because we all create a legacy. All of our our companies create one whether we <laughs> choose to good or bad. <laughs> good or bad, right? Whether we choose to think about it or not. And so one of the things that and that this this was really inspired by Jessica in thinking about how how do we make if we're going to do a conscious design process and make this awesome product well you should be thinking about everything else around it and what what kind of legacy are you building and be conscious about it and you can't really you know create an awesome product and then have a terrible brand <laughs> behind <laughs> it and so that's really the focus is to go okay well what what are the things that make a good brand, what what makes a good legacy. And it varies a little bit, but it also very much ties into, well, especially today, if you want a, a good legacy, then you need to be socially conscious. You need to be inclusive. You need to be aware of all these things. You need to be environmentally friendly. You need to look at it, you know, not just from a product standpoint, you know, like you brought up, blockchain is not exactly a <laughs> environmentally friendly process right now. So there's things like that that you need to think about because it's not just your product, you know, it's not just your software, it's your team. It's do you have a good company culture? Do people enjoy working there? Is there <laughs> are you doing things right or are you going to be one of the companies that ends up having a paper written by four employees that oust, oust <laughs> you as, as not a good place. You know, and so that's those are things to think about because if you want a lasting legacy, if you if you're really trying to make a impact in the world and what you're trying to do really is create a positive legacy that, you know, not necessarily that you're going to, you know, close the company down and have a legacy is you can keep building it for years and years. There's companies that are over a hundred years old. Yeah. So the idea you don't have to stop in order to have a legacy, but you can be building it as you keep going. And so it's being aware of 
and and being inclusive and being thoughtful with your employees, your employees' families. How do you take care of them? How do you take care of your supply chain? How do you present yourself to the world? Do you change with the world? And it's also very much you can't be stagnant either. Is yeah. be creating a good legacy takes effort ongoing. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't stop. So one and done. Correct. <laughs> There's no silver <laughs> bullet for it. Oh, well, you know, maybe the book's a start there, right? Hopefully. But you're all about creating a better world, and you've worked with a bunch of companies and a bunch of products through your consulting. Is there like one example that you kind of bring up as a thing that you're super proud of, like something that, given the lens that we're talking about yeah, this evening, that this is something that really demonstrates some of those values? Yeah, the, there's a, a couple. One is a project that we worked with for a while that she was developing new products for the dental space that were purely ego-friendly. Yep. That, you know, those this the medical dental spaces, because they're highly disposal-based, right? Everything needs yeah. to be sterile, and then it's not sterile, so you have to throw it away. So there's a lot of space there. So that was a... That was an eye-opening world to enter into and, <laughs> and uh, see what's going on there and then be able to help work on some, some product ideas to help curb that, that high amount of waste in that space. So that was, that was a pretty inspiring one. And then there's another one we're, we're working on right now that's in the plant world, home, home product, but it is, it is also fitting into that. We're doing all kinds of fun things with packaging and we'll, We'll announce that once we're once we're live. I'll keep my eye out, but I also, you know, when you start thinking about plant based and in the home, it just starts to sound like cannabis. But you know, I'll uh... if you if you <laughs> want it to be, that choice is up to you for this product. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it can it can be a cactus, it could be cannabis, it could be a tree, <laughs> whatever you want. It's like Burger King. Have it your own way, right? It's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and where can people find you after this if they want to talk more about ethical design or? talk about the Peterman method or any of the other stuff that they've listened to or any of the other stuff they've heard about tonight? Yeah. So if you want to reach out to the firm, it's petermanfirm.com. And then we also have a, a webpage up for the book. It's just consciousdesignbook.com. And you'll be able to find us on Amazon, the podcast you can listen to all over. So we're pretty easy to get a hold of. If you look up Conscious Design and Peterman, you will definitely find me. Absolutely. I'll uh, link that into the show notes and hopefully you'll get a few orders or at least a few listeners. Fantastic. Well, that's been a fantastic chat and obviously really interesting and a really important topic to go through some of the concepts around being a bit more ethical in your product design. So obviously really appreciate you taking the time. Hopefully we can stay in touch. But yeah, as for now, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it, Jason. It's wonderful being here. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com, check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favourite podcast app, and make sure you share it with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night. <laughs>